Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is September the 9th, and our chapter for today is the book of Acts, chapter 17. Now, when the Apostle Paul and all of his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessaloniki. Thessaloniki, or Thessalonica, is a beautiful city on the Aegean Sea, and it has a wonderful harbor. When you're at the top of the hill that overlooks the coast, it is absolutely magnificent with the mountains across the bay. It is a sight to behold. No wonder that they build a city there. Now, there was a synagogue of the Jews there. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, and for three Shabbats, he reasoned The word, the base word there is with logic. He made sense with them from the scriptures. He was exegeting it, explaining it. He was demonstrating that Messiah had to suffer and to rise again from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Messiah. And some of them were persuaded. And a great number of the devout Greeks Not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. And so they had a great ministry at Thessaloniki, and they stayed there for three Shabbats. That was a pretty good while to be with them, as Paul would have preached and laid out everything. Remember, he was showing that Jesus was the Messiah from the scriptures that we call the Old Testament. The New Testament, again, had not been written at this time. Things were beginning to be written, but not a lot was going on. The letters were not circulating yet as such as they are in the New Testament, in the Berit Hadashah, the New Covenant. And so the Jews who were not persuaded, they became envious. Now, isn't this a trademark of those who are religious and those who are not doing very much and not seeing anything that are stayed in tradition. They just cannot have anyone messing up their playhouse. And so they took some of the evil men from the marketplace. You see, religious people, when you mess with them, They are the most wicked people on the face of the earth, and they always know these evil men. Isn't that amazing? They always go hire someone else to do their dirty work. It's like in a church many times. Someone is pulling the strings, and they find some pawn out there, some willing man who may not be the sharpest knife in the drawer, or a person of some influence, but not as much as this person in the back pulling the strings would have, or some a woman, male or female, it doesn't matter, and they will begin to use them to attack the work of God. And so they gathered a mob together and set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren of the rulers of the city crying out, 
These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Now, what a great compliment that was. They didn't mean for it to be a compliment, but really what it was, the people who have turned the world upside down. In other words, everywhere that the gospel went, it caused a commotion, a holy commotion. And uh, people were either on the one side or the other. This is the way the gospel does. It divides men. It really does because it causes people to see that there is someone greater than themselves or not. And the people who think they're the greatest and they're the final authority will always have trouble with those who believe that God has the final authority and that Jesus is king. Now it says that Jason, as they accused him, had harbored these men that were all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar. See, they always appeal to the government saying there is another king and his name is Jesus. Well, that's true. That is what they were saying. But they were not saying that he was a threat to Caesar and that he was going to overthrow the Roman Empire. If he had wanted to do that, he would have done it in person. And certainly he wasn't asking his disciples to do that. What he was asking them to do was to continue to be faithful to preach the gospel, and that's what they were doing. They troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things, so they had taken security from Jason and the rest, and they let them go, because it bothered them. Here were these men that were bringing these people who had done nothing. They had not threatened Rome, and it was obvious this was what was happening, that it was a religious spat, and so the people let them go after they had taken a bond. That's basically what this was all about. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away that night to Berea. Now that's just down the road. It's called Berea today. Berea with a V. It's a beautiful place. I mean, it's just a short drive down there as you go from Thessaloniki. They've got a beautiful highway that goes down to it. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. See, this is always their practice. Why? Because as I told you in the silent years, God set up Beit Knesset or Jewish synagogues all over the Greco-Roman world so that everywhere that these people went under the Pax Romana, under the Peace of Rome, on the great Roman roads that the armies had built, the legions of Rome. And with great freedom, they went and they shared the gospel with the Jews. They always had a preaching point. God had worked that out during the silent years. And when they arrived, they went in the synagogue of the Jews, and these were more fair-minded. They were a different level of people as far as thinkers. They worked through everything than those in Thessaloniki. It doesn't mean that the people in Thessaloniki were dumb. It just means that these people were very serious about researching to see if what Paul and Silas and the others were saying jived with the Scriptures, went along with the Scriptures. And in this way, they received the Word with all readiness, yes. But they searched the Scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. You see, these people, these Jews, knew the Scriptures, and Paul was using the Scriptures, whether they were Greek or whether they were not, to show them that indeed that Jesus is the Messiah, that He was the Messiah, He will be the Messiah. Therefore, many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessaloniki learned that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, they came there also and started up the crowds. In other words, they're going to hound you. They're going to persecute you. They're going to stay after you. You see, this is the way evil always does. Now, by the way, if you see this happening in our day in a church and somebody's following someone around trying to make sure that their name is ruined, that's of the devil. That's not the way the Lord works. 
and you need to stay as far away from those people as you possibly can. And so the scripture says that they stirred up the crowds. Then immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go to the sea, but both Silas and Timothy remained there. So those who conducted Paul brought him to Athens and receiving a command from Silas and Timothy to come to him with all speed, they departed. That is, when Paul got to Athens, he said, you guys get on down here. I've got us a place and I'll wait on you. And so Paul waited for them at Athens, and his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Now, I want you to look at what happened here, and I want to give you somewhat of a different take. Now, this is a magnificent place where Paul went to preach. I've preached there on occasions. You're overlooking the entire city of Athens from this Acropolis, from what was called Mars Hill. And it was a beautiful, beautiful scenery then when Paul was there and as it is today. And so it says that, therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers. See, there were other worshipers there. That's the whole crux of it. There, it says Gentile, but with the worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Then certain of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him. And some said, what does this babbler want to say? Now, you can look up Epicurean and Stoics and find out who they are. We just don't have time to go through what all of these different belief systems are and who these people would have been. But it's very easy to find. You can just Google it and it'll bring it up. Others said he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. Now, Paul was preaching the resurrection to the Jews everywhere he went. Why? Because the hope of the Jews was resurrection. And this was not anything new. This was taught from time immemorial. This was the hope of the Jewish people, that there is life beyond the grave and that one would stand before God one day. They just didn't get the rest of it at this time. And so Paul was telling them the rest of the story. And they took him, this is verse 19, and brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak. For you are bringing some strange things to our ears about this resurrection, all these kinds of things. This substitutionary vicarious death that you're talking about, tell us more. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. Well, that's like saying sick them to a dog. And so here's what he did for all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but to tell or hear of something new. And I want you to look just because of time in verse 22, Paul stood and he gave this great oration, a great oration about the unknown God and that God has down through the ages. He's been patient with people. And uh, Paul gave what is one of the greatest philosophical messages that you could imagine. And then he assured them that this person that is the unknown God is indeed the God of the Jews and has a name, and uh, that he came and, and that he died and that he rose again. And verse 32 says, when they had heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked while others said, we will hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed from them. However, some men joined him believing among them was Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris and others with them. 
Now, this is an amazing thing, and I have all of my ministry from my days in Dallas all through all the schooling and education that God has graciously allowed me to have. I always thought this was a real high point. I've come to believe it was a low point. It was a high point in that God showed Paul exactly what arguing, debating, uh, philosophizing will get, and that is crumbs. That is uh, basically nothing. No one was baptized. No one was baptized. No record of anyone being baptized because of Paul's great oration. But something changed. After this, in chapter 18, he takes off to Corinth. And when he got to Corinth, this was a cosmopolitan city if there ever was one. When we get to Corinth, I'm going to tell you all about Corinth. I've spent time at Corinth. I've taught at Corinth. I have walked the hills of Corinth, the streets of Corinth. It is magnificent in location, in elevation the crossroads of the ancient world in the truest sense of the word. I'm telling you, people were there from all over the earth. And I got a taste of that that I'll tell you about when we get to uh, Corinth. Here's what the Apostle Paul did when he was in Athens, basically got no results. Now it says that some believe, but you know, belief that leads to salvation is a belief that expresses itself in the New Testament by baptism. But Uh, You say, well, what happened with Paul that you're talking about? Well, I believe Paul tried to philosophize with everyone else. Could he do it? Of course. He had studied at the feet of Gamaliel. Gamaliel was a well-read scholar who had studied at the feet of Rabbi Hillel, and they would have known Greek philosophy. They would have known how to combat that. They were apologists for the Word of God and the testimony of Moses and all of the prophets and the writings. They were master apologists, but it doesn't work. You see, making a good apology to a people and really not getting down to the point to where everyone is sinners, but talking about, as Paul did, uh, beating around the bush. I think he beat around the bush. I I do, uh, compared to what he did for the rest of his ministry and what he did before then. You say, well, that's your opinion. No, actually, it's not. It's Paul's opinion. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, something happened between when he left that academic center These halls of academia, the place of debate and philosophy in Athens isn't what it was known for. All you have to do is read the history books. And now he's in Corinth, where people from all over the world are there. They're not the Uridite academicians of Athens. These are common people from all over the earth. There were poor people, wealthy people. There were merchants. There were um, galley slaves. There were everyone you can imagine there. And so Paul realized between the time that he left Athens until he got to Corinth, he made a decision. And here it is. He gives it to us in Acts chapter 2 because he talks about the wisdom of the world is foolishness before God. And the foolishness of the preached message is the wisdom of God. And he talks about that and how that God doesn't call many of good eugenics. That's what the word is of good DNA, of noble birth, it says in some of our versions in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, You see, not many of us are the sharpest knives in the drawer. Not many of us are the ones that are out in the lead. Many of us grew up in very dire circumstances. We were not voted the most uh, likely to succeed, if anything, just the opposite. 
But you see, God is in the business of taking nobodies and making somebodies out of them. God is in the business of taking rejects, discards of our culture, and doing something that nobody can explain except that God did it. Why? So that he will receive the glory. So that people will look at your life and my life that God's worked miraculously in and will give praise and honor to glory because they would know we could never pull it off. And so Paul, when he came in chapter 2, he says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom. Now, what, why is he saying that? Because that's just what he had done in Athens. You've got to keep the historical timeline in view here. Paul had been up there, what I would say, trying to wax eloquent about all he knew about Greek philosophy and how he was going to maneuver them to the cross, but he never did get to the cross. Now, folks, we've got to get to the cross. Sooner or later, you've got to tell people that they're sinners and that the only way they can be saved is by the Lord Jesus, whether they're Jew or Gentile. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. That's either true or that's a lie. It's either true or Jesus is a charlatan. He knows it's not true, and he's trying to sell snake oil. And so he's a liar or he is uh, someone who thinks he's God, thinks he's the only way and he's not. So that means he's a lunatic. He's been looking at the moon too long. That's what a lunatic is. It's that time of, of month. No, it's either that or he's who he said he was by his miracles, by what he did, by eyewitnesses. He proved that he did things that only God can do. He said things that only God can say and he backed it up. See, this is not, I will do this. He did it. And then Paul said, well, I came not with excellency of speech or with uh, Sophia, declaring unto you the witness of God, the testimony of God. Listen to this. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul learned his lesson at Corinth. You can be eloquent. You can give great speeches. You can be a motivator. You can give great talks on being a good mom, a good dad. Do we need all that stuff? Yes. But sooner or later, you've got to get to the word of God and the teachings of Jesus that get people to the cross, his substitutionary death, his burial, and the resurrection, the fact that he came back alive again. And we don't like to talk about that because we entered into that and we think, well, people think we're crazy. Of course they will. It's foolishness to them. But it is the power of God unto salvation to all who will believe. Look at this. Look what Paul said. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Not that he's a good man. Not that he's a prophet. Not that he didn't teach some good things and that he is a loving person. But that he died as a son of God to pay the penalty for our sins. And I was with you in weakness, he said. I came in fear and in trauma and trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human Sophia, just what he had been doing in Athens. But, he said, in demonstration, in actions of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not rest in Sophia, in wisdom, what I did in Athens, but in the power of God, in the power of God. The rulers of this age who are coming to nothing, That is, all of this that I just heard in Athens, that's a bunch of bunk. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mysterion, the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this world knew, for if they had known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory, and on and on. I just want you to know 
that I believe that Paul learned a great lesson at Athens, and it wasn't a lesson on Greek philosophy and apologia. We're really into apology, but what our apology and our defense needs to be today is of the gospel of Jesus, because the gospel of the Son of God, according to the book of Romans chapter 1, is still the power, the dynamic, the enablement of God himself that gives us eternal life. It's the power of God unto salvation to all who will believe. The Jew first, yes, but also to the Gentile, to those who are non-Jews, the Greeks. For On the Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.